Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Andy Schoonover, CEO of CrowdHealth, a unique way to pay for healthcare. We talk about his experience in the healthcare sector, both as a businessman and a consumer, how the system is broken and what he's doing to fix it. Find out how Bitcoin can be used to benefit the savings aspect of his startup and change the fundamentals of the rent-seeking health insurance industry. Andy Schoonover, how's everything going? Man, life is good. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, how's, you know, your life been the last couple of years? Because everyone, I think, has had, you know, weird experiences and stuff mm-hmm. like that and trying to go through whatever it is. How, how's it been? Yeah, man. We So we've got a three and a five year old. So mm-hmm. that's always, always interesting, but and challenging clearly. But I mean, I think we've, we really thrived over the last couple of years. I've mm-hmm. talked to some friends who, you know, are are married and it seems like, the family goes one way or the other, like they really kind of thrive Mm. being on mission together, or they really struggle because, you know, so much of of what they have going on is, is outside of the family, which, you know, got cut off in many ways over the last couple of years, but it feels like we've really, really thrived over the last couple of years. So it's been, been, been okay for us. Mm. So I've kind of actually kind of enjoyed the getting rid of some of the outside sources of entertainment and and really <laughs> focused on you know entertaining ourselves in our home with each other and and growing and bonding as a family so it's actually been been kind of nice to be totally honest with you <laughs> despite the worldwide pandemic i'm generally an introvert too so you know it, it's kind of probably easier for us introverts to to have have gone through the last couple of years than the extroverts but we've actually done pretty well Hmm. What do you think was the secret to like having that versus, you know, many other people who obviously struggled, you know, I've I've heard of a lot of like COVID divorces and things like Mm -hmm. that. You know, what do you think was the difference? Oh, you know, I I know that you're a, you're a, uh, a guy of, of faith and hopefully that's okay to talk about Uh on this podcast, but I really do believe it's, it's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's, you know, just giving each other a lot of grace, giving each other Mm -hmm. a lot of grace and, you know, not to go too personal here, but my wife and I, I think I've told you this, our first daughter passed away about 10 hours after she was born. Mm-hmm. And so we went through, you know, just hell for two years after that. You can kind of imagine, right? Like what you're, mm-hmm. you know, within the first year of our marriage, we moved to a new city, Austin. Mm-hmm. We had a, got pregnant, had a child, lost a child. And so we've been through some, some stuff. And mm-hmm. so I, I felt like, you know, you know, one first James, you know, says, you know, find it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds for it produces perseverance. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the trial of, of losing our daughter really kind of built some perseverance within us. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of looked at this pandemic and we we're like, man, this is nothing compared to you know, stuff <laughs> that we've, that we've been through. And so I think it was just by God's grace allowed us to, to kind of really thrive over the last couple of years. Well, so let's talk about that because you do have a very interesting story, um, you know, especially regarding healthcare and your children and everything else. Can you tell my audience, like, you know, where you come from? What's your background and, you know, why you're so passionate about this topic? Sure. Yeah. You know, and it's funny enough, I, I never thought I was going to be in, in healthcare, but again, you know, I, I think just, you know, not my sovereignty, you know, God's sovereignty mm-hmm. put me into the healthcare space. And so to give you a little background, I went to Stanford for B-School. My mm-hmm. roommate and I uh, were out there and graduated in 2006. So, you know, funny story for those folks who've seen that movie, The Social Network. There's a, a subplot mm-hmm. of that movie where Zuckerberg is going and trying to figure out how to find, I forget what it was in the movie, sixteen or $18,000 to rent this house so that he could bring his buddies mm-hmm. from Boston to Silicon Valley. And the house in that movie was actually our house. So he, he came and he handed us this check. And he's like, yeah, I got this startup company moving it to Silicon Valley. I need a place to stay. And so they stayed in our house while we were all out during our, doing our internships between the first year and second year of business school. So that all that to say was like, it was a crazy time in Silicon Valley. And we, but mm. we wanted to do something a little bit different. And so we raised some money. It's called a search fund. Raised some money to, to go and find a company to buy, almost kind of like a SPAC 
but it's, you know, this was mm-hmm. 15 years ago, so there wasn't really SPACs back then. But so we ended up finding a little company of all places, Dayton, Ohio. So you can kind of imagine what our B school, you know, you know, classmates were saying. <laughs> you went from Silicon Valley to Dayton, Ohio, and uh, bought this little healthcare company that was doing. I've fallen and I can't get up. So I'm sure most of your listeners have seen the silly <laughs> commercial. You know, the old lady. I've fallen. I can't get up. It looks like the commercial was made in like 1985, right? And so we bought a little company that competed with them and turned that company into more of a, a remote patient monitoring company. So we were starting mm-hmm. to monitor blood sugars and blood pressure and weight and things like that out of the home. So that was my first foray into to healthcare. Sold that company in 2014 and as such didn't have health insurance because most of mm-hmm. our you know folks get health insurance through their employer. So went to healthcare.gov. I was I was ignorant at the time, didn't kind of fully understand what that meant, but went to healthcare.gov, got a plan. $1,200 for me, my wife, and my uh, my two girls. And you know, I kind of joke it worked until I had to use it. So my, uh, <laughs> my little one was having recurring ear infections. And so she had to get tubes in her ears. Off we went to the hospital, got tubes in her ears. 15-minute procedure, got the bill. It was $8,000. And I was like, wow, mm. eight grand for 15 minutes, right? Mm. And I was like, well, at least my health insurance will pay for it. And uh, I get the bill in the mail and the health insurance plan put a little note in there that says, we think this is medically unnecessary and therefore we will not pay for it. Mm. So they rejected it. And so I had to write an $8,000 check to my hospital and um, I was pissed. I quit health insurance. I've been uninsured for the last two and a half years and have started building some tools that allow people to operate outside of health insurance. And kind of the culmination of that is is crowd health and I can get into more details on what that means but and how that works but that's kind of the the origination of my my current company but all that to say is mm-hmm. I've been in healthcare for a long time you know uh, healthcare is my my primary language bitcoin is my my secondary language uh, <laughs> but um, yeah I feel like I've been put on this planet to really do some things and change some things in healthcare because it's a it's a tragedy you know what our healthcare system is today from my perspective yeah all right. So you go out to Dayton, Ohio after Stanford Business School. And of course, people are like, what What are you doing? What What was the logic behind that? And like, you, you seem to have stayed with that company for quite a while. Yeah. What did you learn there? And what was the business? And mm-hmm. what about healthcare did you understand from doing that? Yeah. So I think just a contrarian by nature, mm-hmm. I want to do something different than the rest of people are doing. And you know, everybody in Silicon Valley at that time wanted to go work for these high flying tech companies. I got a bunch of people who went to work for Google and Facebook and, you know, all those folks. I wanted to do something a little bit different, even though it went, meant going to, to Dayton, Ohio. And so, you know, the thing that kind of interested me in this company specifically was that it was focused primarily on the elderly population. And Mm. I had uh, four grandparents still in my life at the time. They were all in their 80s. My grandpa fell one day, got stuck between the chair and the wall and had one of these little buttons, you know, that fall and I can't get up buttons. Mm. And, you know, his gallbladder had burst. And if he didn't have one of these buttons, he would have died. I mean, there's, Mm. you know, he had internal bleeding and all kinds of stuff going on. So, you know, I, I was just like, wow, like, can we make an impact, you know, through getting this into more people's homes? Because I see firsthand, you know, the impact it had on my grandpa, he's still alive. And so mm. I, I think it was the impact nature of that, that really got me interested in in that company, I think has kept me interested in, in healthcare. If we can do something on a daily basis, that's making an impact in the lives of, of other human beings, like what an awesome thing you can do, you know, for your daily work. I mean, the, the impact and, and truly changing the way things are done gets me fired up. And like I said, I'm kind of a contrarian in, in, in that finding gaps in the market where people aren't, you know, filling them appropriately is something I really get excited about. So, you know, all, all that to say is um, I was with that company in total for about uh, almost 10 years, almost a decade. And that's where I got, you know, kind of cut my teeth a little bit on on the healthcare kind of part of, of my work history. 
Mm. What were the economics of a company like that like? Uh, I'm, I'm always interested in sort of like the monetary aspect of everything because my suspicion is that fiat money like sort of enters into all of this stuff. So sure, yeah. Just curious, what what was that like? So there's kind of like I'll, I'll touch on two components because I think the first one mm. is interesting. You know, the way that we mm-hmm. structured our deal was that we went out and got investors to, to fund this acquisition. So I didn't buy it myself. Um, we basically mm-hmm. set up a little private equity firm so that we would get 20% of the upside. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we bought the company for $15 million and then sold it for many, many times that. But that's kind mm-hmm. of the economics for us and how we were able to do that kind of out of Stanford with like zero management experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the <laughs> economics of, of the business were kind of interesting because, you know, this is something, and one of the reasons we love the business, it was a recurring revenue model. So, you know, mm-hmm. every month these people would give us, you know, 30 to a hundred bucks, depending upon what, what service they were providing. And, and the cost of us doing that was probably, you know, again, depending upon the service was somewhere between $4 and, Fifteen or twenty dollars, you know, somewhere in there. So, mm-hmm. you know, on a thirty dollars service, our cost, our cogs were four bucks, and so the mm-hmm. economics of that worked out, you know, very, very nicely. So it was a pretty high margin. It was a you know all in EBITDA margin of thirty five or forty percent. So it was mm-hmm. a great business. Hmm. And were you being subsidized in any way by Medicare or you know, health insurance or anything like that? Yeah, it's so funny because health insurance, you know, while I rail against it now is was was my main main customer, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day during that during that company. Mm-hmm. And I think I've I've learned a lot between then and now to understand a little bit about just the perverse incentives of of health insurance plans. And while I'm I'm thankful that to them for making me a bunch of money back in my last company. I'm looking to to, to right the wrong now and giving people a true, you know, alternative to to what they're doing. Hmm. Well, I so what were they did did they pay for all of these like you know thirty yeah. to a hundred dollar things and how much of it did the people pay at all if anything nothing yeah the people paid nothing, nothing. the health plan paid for all of it. And it was mostly Medicare, I imagine, because they're over 65, I imagine. Yeah, it was actually a dual eligible population. So that means they were on Medicare and Medicaid at the same time. So it's it's old and folks living, you know, somewhere under 300% of the federal poverty line. Hmm. Hmm. So that's interesting that the healthcare, like they didn't really know about the cost then. They just sort of like got it as part of like sure. what were how do you even do sales in in a situation like that where they're not paying the cost yeah well i mean that's one of the really screwed up things of our health system right is we mm-hmm. the the ultimate mm-hmm. consumers of healthcare us me you mm-hmm. have no idea how much this costs mm-hmm. right and so we just have an incentive mm-hmm. to consume and consume and consume and the way we sell that is we had to sell directly to the plans so the health plans had mm-hmm. You know, Humana was our largest customer, has, you know, tens of millions of people on their their plan. And they take a look at all the people who would need something like this. They would send us a list and then we would go and sign those people up mm-hmm. and we'd say, hey, your health plan is giving you something for free. They think it's going to benefit you. Mm-hmm. Are you interested? And if they said yes, then we would, you know, get that that system installed in their home. If they said no, we'd move on to the next person. So these were already people engaged by the health plan. The health plan thought that it would be good for them to have it. You know, and ultimately it was the health plan trying to reduce costs, mm-hmm. but you know, that's, that was the ultimate goal. Hmm. Okay. And they did it because some actuary and at their company figured out that if they give these bracelets to these people, then you can like reduce costs somewhere yep. along the line in preventative care, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, ultimately what we did was these little bracelets, they were, you know, initially that were just, I, I fall and I can't go, get up. Like it was just, mm-hmm. you press the button, it would activate a system. The system would call us. We would then talk to you over that kind of speaker mm-hmm. microphone and, and get you help. You know, and when we looked at that originally, we said that this is cool, but it's, you know, very reactionary. You know, you're already mm-hmm. in, you know, deep doo doo when you when you when you're mm-hmm. using that, right? <laughs> and so, how can we be proactive about your health? And that's mm-hmm. when we started. We inserted a Bluetooth module in that device, 
which then could connect directly to blood pressure guffs and, and glucometers and weight scales and pulse oximeters and a whole host of devices so that I could get a better sense for what was going on with you in the home, right? And these were mm. folks with chronic conditions. Our, our average customer was, I think, 83. They had 2.3 comorbidities, which means they had, you know, multiple chronic conditions and the hosp that the health plan was trying to monitor them so that if something went out of whack, right, like your blood pressure spiked, your blood sugar spiked or something like that, then we could get engaged with you with a, we had a call center of, you know, uh, you know, hundreds of people, many of which were, were nurses who could interact with you and say, okay, mm-hmm. so why is this going on? And so we could intervene prior to you going to the hospital. So, you know, you walk, Mm. if you're 84 years old and you walk into the hospital, it's, you know, 12 grand minimum by walking in the door. Mm. And and so if they could pay 30 to a hundred bucks a month for somebody like this, and we could reduce their, you know, four hospitalizations a year down to even three hospitalizations a year, the return on investment of that was, was significant. So Mm. that was the sale that we were, you know, pitching to these health plans. And, you know, and many, many times they, they said yes, and we showed the ROI. And that's why, you know, the, the company, when we bought it was, I don't know, 20 employees. And when we sold it it was 450 employees or something like that. And so that's why, where, where the growth came from, the health plan saw that this had a really return on good return on investment. Hmm. And, and you were able to work with these insurance companies. So tell me about, you know, after you saw the company and you're going to healthcare.gov and all of this other stuff, like, you know, what was that like? The, this sort of process of trying to, I don't know, get paid for something that you clearly saw as medically necessary, but wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was stressful for me. Mm-hmm. So one was just stressful because you go to healthcare.gov, you try to figure out what plan to get, and it's like hieroglyphics. You know, it's it's almost impossible to understand. You know, what copays and deductibles and all these crazy health insurance terms, what they mean, what impact they have on you, what is covered, what's not covered, what's in network, what's out of network. And it was just seriously complex. I'm a fairly intelligent human being. And if I can't figure it out, you know, I just can't imagine what a pretty significant chunk of the population thinks when they go to this, this healthcare.gov to figure it out. But I chose mm-hmm. one best that to my knowledge, it was the the best one I could have chosen. And then you kind of put your healthcare in the hands of a health insurance company, right? Like they decide <laughs> what to pay and what not to pay. And so mm. we had one ear, nose, and throat that we could go to that was in network. We went to that ear, nose, and throat doctor who told us that she needed tubes in her ears because she was going to have long-term hearing loss if she didn't. Mm. That mm-hmm. ear, nose, and throat doc actually delayed his vacation by a day to do it. The mm-hmm. only hospital in town we could do it was at, you know, Dell Children's Hospital here in Austin. That was the only one in network from our understanding. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, we're doing all the things that we need to do right to get this done, right? Mm-hmm. And then to have, you know, the insurance company come back and say, oh, well, you know, it was medically unnecessary. And so you all have to pay for it. I was just like bewildered. I was like, what, what? You know, and I've been mm. I've been super fortunate. Writing an eight thousand dollar check, it, you know, it hurts, right? But it's mm-hmm. not the end of the world. And and you know, I saw some stat the other day that was like sixty or seventy percent of people don't have a thousand dollars in their checking account. Like, what do mm. you, what do you do when you have an eight thousand dollar bill that you're not expecting? Like, that is a really significant financial burden for somebody with less than a thousand dollars in their their bank account. You know, and and I think back to what I was talking about earlier, just the impact piece of this is 250,000 families who had health insurance went bankrupt last year because of a medical event. Like we have, Mm. we have people going bankrupt that have health insurance. I mean, the whole point of insurance is if you have a significant event, it doesn't put you in a financial distress and that's just not happening with, with health insurance. And so Mm. it's one of the drivers of, you know, why I put my company together is, you know, Man, it's it breaks my heart that all these people are are going bankrupt because this this system is taking advantage of them from my perspective. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit because why is the system set up the way it is where you can go bankrupt despite having health insurance? What's the deal? It, it almost seems completely pointless then to have insurance if you're going to go bankrupt anyway. And yeah. like 
what's the deal? How is that allowed to happen? What, wasn't the promise of insurance so that you don't have to go bankrupt? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the promise. And actually, you know, as I've done more research on healthcare.gov plans, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, one in six medical claims are rejected by healthcare.gov plans. So you have a one in six shot of your medical claim getting rejected. It's like one in five if you live in Texas. It's one in three if you live in Tennessee, right? So, you know, mm. the insurance companies say they're there to for you and they're there to pay your bills, but in fact, they reject a pretty significant percentage of these these healthcare bills, and and people are going into financial stress as a result of that. So, that's the challenge here, right? Mm. And, and it and I think it stems from a, a couple of things, and most of them, this this won't shock you to to hear me say it, but it, it stems from government regulation. You know, the government's out there saying we really need to protect the consumers. But in fact, these protections have, I don't know if they're intended or unintended consequences that actually significantly raise our, our health care costs. So I'll, I'll give you one, you know, little example. Hmm. Obamacare, you know, about 10 years old, I think now, had this provision that said health insurance plans can only use 15% of the premium for profit or administrative costs. Okay. So if you have a thousand dollar premium, the max they can profit is 150 bucks. So, you know, if you're outside looking in, you're like, oh, okay, that makes total sense. We don't want, you know, health insurance companies to fleece us, right. By making a bunch of money off of us. But in fact, what happens is if they're a not a for-profit organization, you know, think through this 150 bucks on a thousand dollars, how do I make more money? How do I grow revenue? My premium mm. has to go up, right? That's the mm. only way to make more money on the Schoonover family is for my premium to go up. So at $1,000, you make $150. At $1,100, you make $165, right? So you have mm. this incentive for health insurance companies to raise premiums, not reduce premiums. So in fact, these health insurance companies have an incentive to see prices rise as opposed to prices fall. And and so th- and that's mm. the primary buyer of healthcare. The primary seller mm. of ho- healthcare is hospital systems. Of course, they want prices to go up. So you have the buyer and the seller of healthcare both wanting the price to rise. What happens? The price goes up. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it does. You know, it doesn't take a you know a doctorate in economics to understand that, right? And so there are these just series of perverse incentives within our system that just incentivize for you know the prices to go to go up. You know, and and the middle class are the ones that are that are feeling most of this. Mm. You know, the the folks like me who can pay the eight thousand dollars, or you know, this it sucks, but it's not the end of the world. The middle class who can't pay the eight thousand dollars, the ones going bankrupt and going into financial distress as a result of this. Mm. Well, so I'm trying to figure out like what it is that's causing them to reject the claims because I get the incentive part to increase the premiums, but why are they rejecting one out of six claims or one out of five or one out of three mm-hmm. if you're in Texas or Tennessee? I mean, that would be, I guess, a way for them to make money. But is it that with each policy you can make at most 15% and they're trying to maximize that? Or yeah. are they not making enough on other ones? What's going on? They're trying to maximize to that 85%, right? Mm. And so if if you're... If you're claims start going into that 90% range, then they've got to cut it back to that 85% range because now you're cutting into my profit, right? So it's it's this mm. game of, it's called the medical loss ratio. It's, it's this game around keeping mm. medical claims at 85%. And they put, yeah. And so if it goes over that, then they kind of take a, a really close look and say, okay, how do I get it back to 85% mm. to, to maximize their, their profit on on all of their claims. So it's not a it's not a a unit by unit 85%. It is an aggregate. They have to have 85% of that premium being spent on medical claims. So if it goes to 90, they'll they're, you know, going to their incentive then to cut back on the amount of claims that they have. And so, you know, again, you know, perverse incentives. It's 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 craziness. So so let me see if I understand this correctly. So they you know, up to 85% of your premium being used, they're fine with. Like they're mm-hmm. they're not going to take a too close a look. 
But past that, it's starting to cut into their profits. So they're incentivized to go and try to reject it for some reason. And they usually do. Yes. Is, is that what's happening? That's what is happening. That's what is happening. Wow. That's, that is what the data is saying is mm-hmm. they they are cutting back on on expenses. And it's, and it's typically through claims rejection, right? So mm-hmm. you could go back and just say, hey, let's negotiate the rates down. Right with the hospitals, and, mm-hmm. and they and they do do some of that. Like to be fair to them, they they do mm-hmm. do a little bit of it. But you know, but by the majority of the the claims, kind of management is done by by rejection. Mm-hmm. You know, or you know, the other thing that they'll do is is so they don't have to reject it. Is they'll make doctors get pre authorizations and then reject the authorizations. So I think one plan I forget exactly which one it was is. Any outpatient procedure has to be pre-approved by the health plan, mm-hmm. and so it's truly the health plan is is directing your your health care right. And all that they have to do is say no, you know, on that pre-authorization when mm-hmm. your doctor asks for it. So it's not really between you and your doctor; it's it's between you know you and your health plan and your health plan and your doctor. You know, and what we're mm-hmm. trying to do is take the health plan out of the middle of that, so it can be between you and your doctor. Mm. which I, I think is, you know, is better for a variety of reasons. Well, let's stick with the premium here because sure. like just doing the math, if you're paying $1,000 and, uh, and they're really only paying out 850 why are you do- taking the insurance at all? Like, because then you, you can just pay, you know, if you if it was just straight up paying for yourself, then and you're going to get screwed over this way anyway, then you might as well just pay the thousand out of pocket or mm-hmm. however much you need. Then they don't take their 15% and you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And you, you you know, if you get a big bill, fine, but you, you also save money on the months where you're not able to pay for it. Uh, Amen. Or, I mean, when you're not paying for it. Amen. Well, especially especially if you don't have enough money in the bank to pay your deductible, mm-hmm. right? Like your your deductible mm-hmm. for those out there who, who need to understand or you don't understand how that works is, you know, typically your deductible for a healthcare.gov plan for a family is somewhere between, I think it's six and ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and so. If you have a health event like, you know, my daughter had her ear tubes or your, you know, son breaks his arm or whatever, you know, that, that broken arm is going to be six mm-hmm. grand. And you're going to be, if you have a $6,000 mm-hmm. deductible, you are responsible for that $6,000. So if you mm-hmm. do not have $6,000 in assets that you can liquidate quickly to pay that, you're in, you know, deep, deep financial issues, right? And so I tell people, it's mm-hmm. like, look, if... If you can't cover your deductible, you don't actually have health insurance. I mean, it's it's pretty useless. Mm. And mm. then for the rest of us who do have that amount of money, then you have to say, okay, why am I paying all this money into these health insurance plans when they may or may not pay my bill? And that's where I I decided I'm not just you know speaking here. This this is action on my my part. My family, like I said, has been uninsured for two and a half years, and we've saved mm. more than ten thousand dollars a year by going uninsured. And mm-hmm. I feel more confident than ever that, you know, if I have a, a big healthcare expense, I can viably, you know, pay for it. So I kind of joke that, you know, the two biggest enhancements to freedom that I've done over the last two years is one, go uninsured and two, buy Bitcoin. So, you know, we've, we've got, <laughs> we've got uh, two pretty screwed up industry being our monetary system and our healthcare system, I think being very well solved by by individuals taking it in, in their own responsibility and, and doing it on their own. So, you know, that's kind of the reason why we went uninsured, exactly what you're saying. Oh, this is kind of crazy to me. I didn't realize that it was this bad. But basically, if I'm hearing you correctly, what the insurance companies are doing is they're paying the minimum out, they're still making a profit, and they're really not going to pay out for almost anything that's going to cut into their profit. So as a result, most people just are paying more for their health care so the insurance companies can make money rather than like actually get insurance or some you know catastrophic event that they, they can get covered on. It's almost like it's the system set up. So that the insurance companies can rent seek off of everybody else. Yeah. And in reality, what, you know, and I think it's, 
look, I, I, their their intent is a profit maximizing intent, right? Which mm. I'm a free market guy. Which you know, I I'm like, hey, you know, maximize profit to, to all you can, and hopefully mm-hmm. competition comes in and you know push push pressure margin you know pressure on your margins and prices ultimately will will go down. Government intervention is what's doing this because mm-hmm. there's nobody else that can compete with with these health insurance plans and the health insurance plans is limiting profit already. And so, you know, there is all the free market basics are taken out of the healthcare system. And that's ultimately why our our healthcare prices are, you know, twice as much as the next the next country per capita. Mm-hmm. And the outcomes aren't that good. So, you know, it's it's ultimately the government here. I wouldn't say it's, you know, the, the insurance plans. I think the intent is not, you know, maliceful. It is just mm-hmm. the government is is putting these regulations in place that limit the the invisible hand ultimately is what's mm-hmm. going on. I, it sounds like they created a class of rent seekers and in health insurance companies and gave them a nice carve out so that we have to pay them almost. Yeah. Um, that just seems... Well, that's very typical of government. But yeah, it just it just sounds so horrible. Yeah, it, I mean, really, it is. And you know, look, it's two of the Aetna and United Healthcare are the sixth and seventh largest companies on the planet in revenue, and so mm. you know, <laughs> they they have they have profited nicely off of of what the government has done. I think it's, it's I mean, it's something crazy. Like United Healthcare is up. I think it's something like 400% or 500% or something like that from when Obamacare was mm-hmm. enacted. And so mm-hmm. their stock price. And so these things are benefiting these these health plans. And look, you know, these health plans and pharma are, I think, one and two. It may be flipped. Maybe pharma is one and health, mm-hmm. and health insurance is two in terms of lobbying dollars, right? And so mm-hmm. they are spending lots and lots of money ensuring that these governmental moats that have been set up are preserved. Um, and that's a problem. Mm. I mean, I know that ARP has the reputation of being sort of like the, you know, the soldiers for United Health or something like that. And, you know, they do all of the lobbying on their behalf almost. And I know Pfizer, obviously they're, you know, uh, advertising all over, mm-hmm. you know, CNN, I think they they take up like 75% of the ad dollars for CNN, which is absolutely insane. And they're, they're also lobbying like crazy. It almost seems like they want the system to be perpetuated, like they're protecting their monopoly. Almost. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and mm-hmm. look, you're advertising free stuff to people who need it, right? Like, you know, that's the, mm-hmm. that's the problem is if you see an advertisement for Pfizer, whatever drug, and you have mm-hmm. the condition, you're going to go to your doctor and you're going to say, give me that drug. It doesn't matter if that drug is $1,000 or $100 or $2 or $100,000. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're not ultimately going to pay for it beyond your deductible. And so you have very little incentive to really care, you know, what the, mm. what the, uh, the price of the drug is. So it just does all kinds of screwy things to your supply demand curves. Mm. Okay. So having set up all of the screwed upness of the current system, tell me about what you're doing and why your family is able to not be on health insurance for the last two years and like what a better system looks like, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I took a look at a lot of the other ways people are paying for their health care and trying to, to put together a, a bundle of services that allow people to operate outside of your traditional health insurance. And so, you know, I looked at HSAs, I looked at, you know, some of these people are crowdfunding some of their healthcare bills, you know, especially mm-hmm. some of the really, the really big ones. And, and so mm-hmm. I, I looked at some of these things and I said, can we put these all together in, in a package that allows people to do this? So, you know, ultimately what we've done at, at Crowd Health is you are, if you're between the ages of six and 54, um, you'll put 175 bucks a month into an account and that account is owned by you. So it's your own bank account. It's yours. You know, we have no access to it. But that money will be used to help people in the community to pay for their healthcare expenses. So mm-hmm. if, you know, the Schoonovers have br- a broken arm, you know, Ava breaks mm-hmm. her arm and it's $6,000, the Schoonovers will pay the first 500 bucks of it out of my own personal account. 
Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to go to the rest of the community and I'm going to say, hey, community, the Schoonovers, you know, have a, a healthcare need. Would you all pitch in, you know, I guess would, mm-hmm. would 55 of you pitch in 100 bucks to help them with the rest of that bill? And so it's mm-hmm. you can say yes, you can say no. It's up to you. It's totally voluntary. We, we truly crowdfund this. But it has been very effective in paying for the Schoonovers bills. So ultimately, mm-hmm. I'm committed to paying the first 500 the community is helping me out mm-hmm. with the rest. There's no health insurance company in between. And mm-hmm. if you have money in that bank account and you're ready to leave Crowd Health, you take the money with you. So it's mm-hmm. literally your money. You know, you don't stick it into a health insurance plan and never see it again. It doesn't go into the health insurance black mm-hmm. hole. It's it's yours. It's in your account. You see it. And we find that's a pretty effective way of paying for some of these larger bills. And you're in for 500 bucks. So it's not like, you know, you go to the ER, 500 bucks. If you break an arm, 500 bucks. If you, you know, have a baby, 500 bucks. And so that gives people some security around, you know, what, what is this going to cost me? You know, it, and, and it won't put you into financial distress. So yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it, it's cool because you're essentially cutting out this giant rent-seeking middleman called these health insurance companies who are incentivized essentially to cut as many of the benefits that you're, or like basically protecting their bottom line and making sure that they have this, like you're instead directly paying for these things, but doing it in a way so that you know, you don't have the spikiness of, uh, you know, health events or whatever. You, you, you have more steady, you know, outflow of money mm-hmm. while, you know, or less variance, I guess. It's kind of like pooled mining almost. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's totally right. Mm-hmm. Much, much less variance. And so, you know, instead of my family taking on all 6,000 of that pretty high spike, mm-hmm. but paying mm-hmm. nothing for the next three months, it is, hey, you know, you know, your family, our family of four uh, model is 695 bucks for a family of four. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you pay 695 a, a month and that flattens everything out for you. And, you know, if you have money that's left over at the end, then it's yours. So that's, you know, a, a great, you know, incentive for people in the, and all the people in the community to be, you know, cognizant of how much they're spending, which is is not the case in the health insurance market. You know, the other thing for us is we mm-hmm. take we're, we're a subscription fee model. So we just take mm-hmm. um, 25 bucks a month as mm-hmm. our fee. So we have mm-hmm. every incentive to increase the number of members. The more members we have, the easier mm-hmm. it is to pay the bills, the more money we make, the incentives are aligned there. You can also think about the, the health events. We're going to work our asses off to get that health event paid for because if it's not paid for, that person goes on Facebook and Instagram and tells everybody how mm-hmm. crowd health doesn't pay for their bills. So we actually have the reverse incentive of health insurance plans. We're going to work our tails off to get that health event paid as opposed to the health insurance plan is, you know, incentivized not to pay the bill because, you know, we, what we just talked about. And mm-hmm. so our incentives are much more aligned with the community than health insurance plans. Mm. And it reminds me of like the difference between term and whole life insurance where like the insurance companies, you know, the health insurance almost like uh, they they operate under like a term and life insurance kind of thing where you pay money in. And if you don't die within the specific period that they insure you for, then you, you get nothing. Yeah. Whereas whole life insurance, it's, uh, you know, you have an account that accumulates and then they, you know, it gets paid out no matter when you die. That's right. Um, it's kind of like that with this, where there's an account that you have that accumulates and gets drawn down or whatever, but you know that that money is yours instead of you know belonging to some third party that's incentivized to keep as much of it as possible. Yeah, and we and like I said, we don't even touch that money. We have no access mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. If you give the the bank the thumbs up that you'll transfer, you know, a hundred bucks from your account to the Schoonovers account. It goes directly mm-hmm. from your account to the Schoonovers account. We don't we don't mm-hmm. get in between, and that helps us, you know, for a variety of reasons. I mean, the big challenge here, given what we just all talked about, right? The government intervention is regulatory, and so mm-hmm. if we don't touch the money, we don't pool the money, we don't, you know, the approval of those health events are yours. You can pay for them. You you don't have mm-hmm. to pay pay for them. It's voluntary. And so it really is mm-hmm. truly a community of people who've said, 
you know, in an affirmative way, like I am willing to help others in the case that they have a big, a big healthcare event. Mm-hmm. And there's some, some beauty about that. And I think when it's, you know, I was, we can t- kind of talk about the Bitcoin angle here at some point, but, you know, one mm-hmm. of the things I think is kind of a beautiful thing about the Bitcoin p- community is it, it is a community, you know, and it is, mm-hmm. and it is a group of people who, who want self-sovereignty, but within that, you know, I think we are all drawn back to community. Even though I was at the you know, Bitcoin 22 in, in Miami and doing your Thank God for Bitcoin conference beforehand, it's just like the power of that community is a pretty incredible thing. And we've been doing this community healthcare thing for hundreds, if not thousands of years. If somebody is hurt, somebody needs help, mm-hmm. we as a community will gather around them and help. You know, that's not socialism. That's just good kindness to your to your fellow neighbor right <laughs> and so i think we're taking that and saying hey can we do that in healthcare and kind of you know it's almost back to the future it's like can we do it like we've always done it now we just add some mm-hmm. some cool you know financial technology on top of it and then ultimately can we add bitcoin to it and i think you've got something that's pretty special well, so let's go back to some of the incentives. What's the incentive for me to pay you said it's voluntary for me to pay out a claim like how do I as a user of the service like figure out whether or not like the claim is legitimate and you know like there might be stuff mm-hmm. like I want to remove my tattoo is that is that really yeah. medically necessary right, right? like uh, like what what's the process there and what motivates people to I mean, other than basic kindness and sense of community mm-hmm. and stuff like that what's to motivate them financially to give to the other people that are you know seeking sure you know to be covered yeah so there's a couple things here one is every well first we do filter out bills that do not are aren't in line with our member guidelines so mm-hmm. you know you can't have you can't get a boob job. Like you can't remove mm-hmm. your tattoo. You can't get, mm-hmm. you know, things that are cosmetic in that way. So we have a very mm-hmm. clear outline of things that we will not submit to the community for funding just to keep people from submitting stupid mm-hmm. stuff. And then mm-hmm. second, we score all of those bills, right? If they do f- pass mm-hmm. that filter, we score them. It's red, yellow, green. And mm-hmm. it's basically like, hey, did this person shop, you know, at all? Like, you know, I, we got some pretty awesome stories around people who, you know, we had this couple in, in Wisconsin needed a heart procedure. It was $86,000 at their local hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, we found another hospital that would do it for $44,000. We found a third hospital that they'd have to fly to that would do it for $22,000. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they allowed us to, to shop around for the best price. And again, it's adding market forces to, to the healthcare. And so they ultimately mm-hmm. decided to go for the one that was $22,000. So we put them first class tickets to <laughs> to their their location we gave them the best hotel in in that that city we paid them $2500 for their time and we still saved $50,000 on that bill so you know we help people wow. navigate that and so we'll score mm. that bill like hey this is a green bill we think this is a good one you should pay for it you know a red mm-hmm. one would be like i've got the flu and i went to the mayo clinic and you know th- it cost me $10,000 to tell me that i had the flu like don't be a dummy Right. And and so you'll see that when you when we present it to you. The second thing you'll see is what we call the the the, you know, a reputation score. So, you know, if I give if I'm I'm asked 10 times to give, you know, over the course of a year or whatever, Mm -hmm. and I say no to nine of the 10, Mm -hmm. then people will see that I'm a Scrooge. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not a very good member of the community. And so when I have a healthcare bill, They'll see that and they'll be like, hey, mm-hmm. Andy, like you're not given to the community. So why should the give, community give to you? Right. And so it, it mm-hmm. eliminates the freeloader, you know, concept. And it, mm-hmm. this reciprocity engine is what really kind of fuels that, that, you know, desire to help. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've crowdfunded on several hundred bills at this point. And I think mm-hmm. it was a 98% of the people said yes when we've asked. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it, it has done a really nice job of getting people to be generous. Mm. And so those are the kind of the two fundamental things that drive this. It's one, you know, are you a good healthcare consumer? And two, are you a good member mm-hmm. of the community? And you'll see those two components. And that has been pretty effective in, in giving people a pretty good indication of whether or not they should fund this bill. 
Hmm. Well, that that's really interesting because you do eliminate for like hypochondriacs that are going into the ER every five days because they think they have the latest disease or something like that. You all, and you also give an incentive to try to find the best deal, right? Like uh, use actual market forces. What do you say to the people that are like, why are you playing games with my health, right? Like it's like, uh, you know, uh, they maybe they still associate you know, high price with high quality or something like that. Yeah. It's like, um, okay, well, this doctor, you know, I, where am I going to get surgery? The one that's charging 80,000 or 20,000. Yeah. I mean, maybe they feel safer with the 80,000. Like what, what do you do with something (laughs) like that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it is the inverse of what you'd think in just society in general, right? You want to go to the nicest hotel, you're going to pay the most in healthcare. It's, it's almost the opposite of that. So we've got a guy in town here in Austin who just does knee mm. replacements. He does, I think it's mm. something silly, like five or six knee replacements a day or something. I mean, it's, it's back mm. to back to back knee replacements. That's all he does. So, mm-hmm. you know, would you expect him to be better or worse than the average orthopedic surgeon at knee replacements? Who, you know, the average orthopedic surgeon does shoulders and wrists mm-hmm. and knees and ankles and pretty much every joint you can think of. Well, mm-hmm. you'd think he'd be better, right, than the average because mm-hmm. if you have a complication, he's seen this thing a hundred times. He's specialized mm-hmm. in it. He's really good at it. And so, therefore, he's also way less expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's he, Interesting. he does them over and over and over and over and over again. You know, think of a, a job shop, you know, a, a mm-hmm. metal-making factory that every different piece is – you know, you paid for every piece. It's a piecemeal type of thing as opposed to an assembly line, which everyone is the exact same, right? The assembly mm-hmm. line can make them for way cheaper than the the piecemeal, you know, kind of consulting type of mm-hmm. company that you see out there, right? And so that's the same as healthcare is most of the time, the higher quality doctors are lower priced. And so hmm. the example I just gave you, this guy in Oklahoma is like the leading cardiologist in this procedure that we asked mm-hmm. him to do. And he was mm-hmm. 25% of what the local hospital who had done, I think, one or two of these procedures in the last year. So who would you rather go to? You know, the eighty-six, <laughs> the $86,000 guy who's done, done it twice in the last year, right? Or the $22,000 uh-huh. guy who's done it 100 times in the last year. Right. Like you'd want to go to the guy who mm-hmm. who and and we have this data. Right. And so mm-hmm. we can tell you when you say, hey, I want to get my ACL repaired. I can tell mm-hmm. you the doctors in town that have the most complications from ACL repairs. Right. Mm-hmm. So would you want to go to the mm-hmm. guy who's got two complications per 100 or would you want to go to the guy who has 15 complications you know, per hundred, mm-hmm. you, you'd want to go to the two, right? And so mm-hmm. we can actually lead you to that right doctor. And that doctor is going to be more times than not less expensive than the one who has 15 complications per a hundred. So let's use that data to actually be better consumers of healthcare. And the health plans just don't do that, right? So, mm-hmm. and by the way, we negotiate for you. So we don't ask you to negotiate with your doctor, (laughs) you know, it's something we know that you're not comfortable with. And so, you know, we're doing one right now. It's an ACL replacement. We're negotiating directly with the doctor and we're going to save probably six or $7,000 on that ACL tear because we're negotiating with the doctor and finding a really good, you know, hospital to do it at and all that kind of stuff. So we don't ask you to do that. We take that burden on ourselves. It's a a part of our service. Yeah, it, it reminds me of like how athletes all go to like Dr. James Andrews in Alabama or something like that. Yeah. Or, uh, like somehow he's become like the expert at like sports knee cartilage stuff or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he does absolutely everybody's. And, uh, you know, that that sort of specialization seems like it, it could be it could make the market a lot more efficient and a lot better because, uh, yeah, they, they can charge less because this is what they do all day. And they obviously have a lot more capacity to do that because if that's the only thing that they're doing, then, you know, yeah. it works. Well, the other big component here is, you know, if if I came to you and I said, hey, Jimmy, I'll, I'll pay you, you know, in cash right now mm-hmm. or even better, I'll pay you in Bitcoin right now mm-hmm. or I'll pay you in three months and I'm not going to tell you exactly what I'm going to pay you. <laughs> and by the way, you're going to have to negotiate with me over the next three months to get paid. 
you know, what would you choose? You, you choose the Bitcoin today, right? Mm-hmm. And so with our customers, the, the value that we bring is that we're paying the, the, the doctor on the day of the surgery or, or at the point of care is how mm-hmm. we call it. You know, with the health insurance plans, those, those, those uh, docs don't get paid for 60 or 90 days. They often have to kind of renegotiate with the health plan. They're not exactly sure how much they're going to get paid because the way that these contracts are written are, are clunky. And so it's like they're willing to give us a really significant discount if, they're, if they can get paid on the day of, of the surgery or procedure. And so we're, mm-hmm. we're saving 30 to 50 percent, you know, just by paying, you know, cash on the day of the of the procedure. And the doctors love it. They're like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I would do this all day long. Can you bring me more patients? I'll give you big discounts. So this is not <laughs> this is this is truly a win win between the patient and the doctor. This is not like to lower mm-hmm. healthcare. We have to take, you know, a chunk out of somebody's hide. No, no, it's it's getting mm-hmm. rid of the health insurance plan and making the 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 care being back between the doctor and the patient without a, a third party intervening. I think what you're saying is that not only are the health insurance companies rent seeking off of the actual patients, but they are off the doctors as well, and they're very happy about getting rid of this very friction-laden point yep. which uh, w- where they get screwed to. 30% of the doctor's time is dealing with health insurance plans. Mm-hmm. And they're like, man, if you can give me that 30% back and I don't have to talk to some administrator at a health plan who's never seen my patient and thinks that they know everything about my patient and what my patient should or should <laughs> not receive, you know, the care they should receive, he's like, I would, we would love that, right? So, you know, doctors mm-hmm. are at like an all-time burnout rate, partially because of the pandemic, partially because of, you know, health insurance and a bunch of other things. But, I mean, I think this could be a, a national crisis where some of these docs are like, screw this. I'm just going to go, you know, work in private equity or something and help these these big <laughs> financial firms buy healthcare companies. I'm going to get paid way more and I don't have to deal with the the BS of, of health insurance and regulation and all this kind of other stuff. Well, so let's go back to that financial component because, uh, you know, if you are in control of your healthcare account, essentially, and you, you basically have a pool of money set aside for this healthcare thing that you could take with you whenever you want, you know, this seems like a very good place for Bitcoin, right? Like you, in, instead of saving in dollars, you save in Bitcoin in this account. Mm-hmm. And that way it, it continues to grow and you can afford to be a, a little more generous, possibly, you know, pay out the $25 a month service for all the work you're doing, negotiating and figuring, setting up the system and all that. Like that, that seems like a win for everybody. Yeah, I think so. And I, I'm, I'm thanks, thanks to you for the idea. You know, I, I, uh, mm-hmm. we, we sat down at lunch. I mean, I don't know. A, a year ago, nine months ago, something like that, and mm. and and I was as I was telling you about what I'm doing. You said, "Well, you know, why don't you hold this stuff in Bitcoin? Like, why that'd be <laughs> that'd be awesome instead of holding it in a big health insurance plan, you know, pool of depreciating assets. You know, what if you held it in Bitcoin?" Mm. And so we are actively building that service right now. Mm. And so mm. you know, the way it would work is you would put fiat con- into uh, an account; it would be converted. 75% of it would be converted to, to Bitcoin. We're, we're working with a Bitcoin only company right now. You know, you, you would know the name. I want to withhold that until mm-hmm. I, I, we, we get this thing finalized. But we, we want you to have self-custody of that 75% with 25% mm-hmm. sitting in cash. Because when I ask you to help with a health event... I, you know, you don't want to sell your Bitcoin. So you have some mm-hmm. cash there to pay it. So mm-hmm. some, some liquidity, and then you get the upside of that, that Bitcoin. So if, what mm-hmm. are we at today? 39 or something like that. If it goes from mm-hmm. 39 to 400,000, that upside is yours. And so it's almost like a, a forced savings plan that has the added benefit of, of helping you with your, your healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's the way that we're, we're structuring it currently. And everything else is going to work the same. So we've got all the other infrastructure ready to go. We're just looking, we found a company and integrating with them now that's going to help us with 
kind of the management of the the the, the keys and and of the the Bitcoin mm-hmm. side of this. So mm-hmm. we think it's a pretty innovative way of of doing this. You know, the other part of this that is super cool, I think, is you will be funding bills of only Bitcoiners. So we're going to have a, a mm. Bitcoin crowd, as we're calling it. Um, so you'll, <laughs> you'll all be in the, the same community. And, you know, the great part about that is, you know, as I was walking around Bitcoin 22 in Miami a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, they're younger, they're healthier mm-hmm. generally than the population. They have, you know, a, a, a higher sense of personal responsibility, which means, you know, I think there's a less likelihood of them, you know, trying to scam the system. And mm. so, you know, I think it's a really cool crowd to be a, a, a part of. And that's what we're currently building. So once we get to mm. a thousand people who are interested, we're, we're, we'll be off to the races. We've got mm. probably all 350 or 400 so far, and we've only been marketing it for about two weeks. So, mm. you know, if any of your listeners are interested in being a part of that community, um, we'd love for you to, to consider it. You know, where can they find that? Like, what's the URL? Like, where, where can they go? I'm sure a bunch of people listening are like, oh, oh, I, I am so down on this. Uh, like, I, I'm, I'm so down for this because many of us are, you know, like not working at a mm-hmm. traditional company. And, you know, like going to healthcare.gov is a nightmare. And if, it, if the numbers really do line up the way you say they do, then it, it seems like a no-brainer, especially if you can keep your healthcare costs or the healthcare premiums that you're putting in to this black hole of uh, health insurance. Instead, if you can put it into uh, essentially what's a savings account, mm-hmm. I mean, that that seems like uh, that's a huge win. Like you're, you're converting something to a, from a cost to a savings vehicle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, we've got a, a little landing page set up called crowdhealthbtc.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a one pager that tells you what we're doing. Um, it, at the bottom of that page, it gives you the opportunity to give us your email address and how many people in your family would be interested and then once we hit a thousand people interested, then we're going to send out another email and said, we're ready to roll. So we just need to get to that thousand because it's just not financially viable under mm-hmm. a thousand. I mean, mm-hmm. you and I wouldn't want to get into a community and, you know, if I come down with cancer, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it would be tough. So we, we, mm-hmm. we need a thousand people to, to get on board with this. And um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping, you know, with podcasts like this and in other ways, we can get that uh, in short order. So my guess is that we'll be, you know, ready to roll midsummer, mm. and you know, just in terms of the integrations being done and our thousand people being being ready to go. So, you know, please go and, and sign up if you're interested in something like this. We'd love your support. And um, you know, so far, I will tell you that with our our, our current group of folks, um, the average age is 34. The um, the body mass index is uh, four to five points lower than the national average. Of the amount of money that people have contributed to their accounts over the last year, we've used 21% of that, that money, which means that they have mm-hmm. 79% left, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so that's why, you know, we think this is uh, working really, really effectively. So would love anybody who's listening to, uh, to join us. Well, so do you have to be in the U.S. to participate, or can you do this internationally? Or what? What, what are the restrictions for people that that are interested? Yeah, so um, you have to have a U.S. address. That's in, that includes Puerto Rico. Um, I know that we have some some mm. Bitcoin folks in Puerto Rico, so that does include Puerto Rico. Um, so you have to be in U.S. We're we're looking at what the regulatory requirements are for some of the other countries to be able to 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 do this. Mm. Funny enough, the closest comparison to what we're doing is in in Kenya of all things. They've got communities of mm. people who do, you know, similar things and actually met somebody at Bitcoin 2022 that that is involved in that project in in some mm. way. So that was kind of cool. Um so we're looking at other countries in which we think this will will be helpful, but uh right now we're we're focused on the United States and Hopefully, you know, beyond that in the next you know year or two. So, mm-hmm. right, so the economics are very interesting. You said something like you, you've used 21% of the money that's gone in. So like, you know, for people that are putting in, say, like $100 a month, out of the 1200 they they still have 79% of it in their account. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. Okay. And if they kept it in Bitcoin, it might, you know, like depending on the time horizon and stuff like that, 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 that could easily cover 
all of it and still have some left yeah. in dollar terms. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I mean, people roll my, roll their eyes when I tell them this, but I, I, th- mm-hmm. I think this model, if, if Bitcoin does what we think Bitcoin is going to do, you know, over the next mm-hmm. five to 10 years or even shorter time period, I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. there are people that will never have to pay for healthcare again you know, using this model. I mean, I truly, I truly believe that. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. I, 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 the numbers work out, right? Like that's the numbers are the numbers. Like yeah. if it's 21% over a year, then it's like, wait a second. Is is that how much the health insurance companies are taking? I, it's, it's making me mad more than anything else. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and look, and, and so I, I'm not saying that it's always going to be that if we have, you know, a big, uh-huh. a big cancer case, or you know, something like that. It, mm-hmm. you know, we, we'll we'll ask some people to to dig into it a little bit more. But mm-hmm. you know, thus far, we've we've been able to you know really massively reduce cost. Like I said, that last example I gave you of that heart procedure, you know, the health plan would have paid eighty six thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and we paid in essence, mm-hmm. you know, all costs and everything else included thirty. Right? I mean, that mm-hmm. is happening on the majority of the procedures of people coming to us, this, this ACL terror that we have mm-hmm. here in Austin, the health plan was going to pay, you know, would pay 20, we'll pay probably 12. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, th- there is that much inefficiency in, in the market currently that mm-hmm. is, is, you know, in our, our 21% is the product of that. <laughs> just, we're, we're able to significantly reduce these costs. And by the way, you're getting into the group of early adopters in something that's I think is cool and innovative and they do too and and that mm. they, they're self-selecting so we just mm. have a healthy group of people right and that's not because we're putting a bunch of restrictions on it's it's all because they're self-selecting early adopters mm. tend to be you know younger and f- more healthy than folks that are kind of mm. later stage adopters of new technologies so um, we mm. have a really young crew mm. Well, I, that that sounds super exciting, and I, I, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, you know, they've been red pilled on a lot of things, including finance. Uh, hopefully, they are now on healthcare, and th- this is a nice actionable step that you can take, which is, you know, kind of unusual in a lot of a lot of this red pilling. It's mm-hmm. hey, there's an alternative here. And it, it, it kind of makes sense the more you know you think about the economics of it, because you know, you were saying United Healthcare, Aetna, you know, um, I guess uh, all the pharma companies, you know, they have to make their money from somewhere. And they're, uh, they're largely making it by rent seeking or get becoming the middlemen that don't add any value. And if you eliminate that, you can reduce the cost just so significantly all over the place. And uh, I, I think that's what you're showing. So I'm, I'm so glad that you brought all of this up. So any concluding thoughts about healthcare or any like sort of, I don't know, screeds or rants that you want to go on about how the current system works? Because I imagine you, you, you've thought about this quite a bit and you, know, you, you have certain uh, perspectives on how, why it's set up the way it has. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I'll, I'll just tell you, a lot of our customers are coming from two places. One is they have previously been or they are uninsured Right. So they mm-hmm. they are in a place of saying, hey, you know, if I can if I can save and get a little bit more confidence that my big health event is going to get paid for in the case that that happens, they come over to us. And then the other one is healthcare.gov folks who you know have gotten into healthcare.gov, have seen the error of their ways and, you know, have come over to us as well. And so, you know, if there are folks out there listening that are in one of those two camps, you know, I, I'd love for you all to consider us. I mean, Healthcare.gov ultimately is an additional expedition of the government into your healthcare, right? Like this is, mm-hmm. they are they are expanding with an ultimate goal of, of Medicare for all, which I think is going to be a total, you know, disaster. And so, you know, if, if you're on healthcare.gov, you are in, in some way supporting that initiative. And so I'm just, you know, this is somebody talking who was on healthcare.gov and kind of saw that and was like, you know what, I'm going to do something different. And so- you know, would love for those people to consider an alt- whether it's us or any of the other alternatives out there. But you know, you know, please kind of reconsider that. So that's my only kind of r- rant takeaway. 
you know, and and uh, and I'll I'll echo Michael Saylor and Bitcoin Twenty Two is don't sell your Bitcoin. So I'm thankful to you, Jimmy, for uh, for orange pilling me, you know, a, a, a year ago, and I, you know, fortunately got in in the low 30s. So I'm I'm feeling still pretty good about all this, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm super excited about just the Bitcoin community and and now being officially a part of it. So a lot of this is is thanks to you. Well, hey, like I think what you're doing is fantastic. And if you can fix this healthcare thing, which I I think everyone knows is completely and utterly broken in the United States, we would be enormously grateful for being able to, you know, take a lot of those costs away. Anyway, where can people find you? Where can people contact you? Yeah, sure. So we're on all, all the social media platforms. Uh, join Crowd Health is our mm-hmm. Twitter uh, platform. So come and, and join us. There, same on Instagram. So those are our two primary, you know, outlets. Um, Schoonover mm-hmm. Andy is mm-hmm. my Twitter handle. So I'm usually given, you know, fairly sharp commentary on healthcare. Or if you ever interested in taking a look at that, and and then joincrowdhealth.com is our primary website, and crowdhealthbtc.com is the uh, the landing page that talks a little bit more about our Bitcoin initiative. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, brother. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this podcast. I'm an advisor to the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what they are building. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Andy can be found at at joincrowdhealth on Twitter and joincrowdhealth.com. Until next time, fiat, the best.